JB, you don't suppose that uh, Len Healy heard me tee up uh, his appearance on our show uh, before the break and decided to bail on uh, coming clean whether or not he hit under a car to avoid a fight. You know, I've, I've heard myself introduced on a couple of shows and thought, I might just go dark here. I might just not. Yeah, I didn't like that intro. So it's, it's possible. <laughs> it's, I'm not ruling it out. I may uh, take a couple shots at him throughout this interview, which I've earned. Where'd you play together? We were in New York together in 94. He was. I didn't know he was there in 94. Yes. I know. He was. Shows that and, uh, he's got the he's got the uh the blisters uh from cowboy boots to prove it. Is he a cowboy a boot story. guy? Yeah, it was uh Dallas had come into the league and we went on a road trip and he was so excited to go down there and all I heard for three days is I'm buying cowboy boots, I'm buying cowboy boots, and I said, Yeah, that's because you want to tell people then you're five foot nine. But <laughs> um he was so excited uh, a week later to wear them to a game uh, that uh, then we ended up in this ice storm and uh, his wife only could drop him off about 60 blocks from Madison Square Garden. He had to jog. <laughs> in cowboy boots in a snowstorm? He had storm? to jog 60 blocks in his cowboy boots to make it to the game. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> oh, he's going to oh kill God. me. We may not get to one hockey question with him. If this is the way it's going to be for the next uh, 10 or, or 15 minutes, but we'll, we'll have a blast with him. And, you know, I got to give him full credit here. He's uh, the last few years as executive director, president of the NHL alumni, man. He's uh, he's gotten head and shoulders above anything I've ever heard uh, in, in terms of uh, the engagement with ex players and helping them behind the scenes, uh, some huge names, some not so huge names and everyone in between that have found a way to, uh, to, to get to Glenn or Glenn get to them, uh, he's made a difference in their lives. And yeah. uh, I, I can't speak uh, enough about Glenn Healy and uh, the work that he's done uh, yeah. for, for our alumni. You know, what's so unfortunate about a role like him and for the Alumni Association in general is that so often when people are in need, it's private. And so they do so much good things, so many good things for so many people who are in need and they're generally private matters, and the Alumni Association does help them out and does look after them. What we tend to hear publicly are the failings. You know, the rare incidents of someone slipping through the cracks where, you know, and I, I mentioned this to you guys off the air, and we'll talk about it with Glenn, but he's helped my family out, you know, going above and beyond what the Alumni Association is committed to doing. So, um, you know, they do wonderful things, and we don't always hear the good stories. See, I don't know. I mean, I... Do we stay with how much you've helped ex-players or do we just talk about you hiding under a car to avoid a fight? I don't know which way to go. Well, when you're a dirty street fighter like I am, <laughs> then sometimes you got to do things for survival. Yeah, not many people know that story. Um, I just assessed my options. Uh, a guy who was six foot seven could bench press four hundred pounds, and then me. <laughs> and I weighed it up pretty quickly, Kipper. Uh, unlike yourself, who thought they could have maybe tied that fight, I wasn't tying anything other than myself up underneath the car. Uh, hey, did I escape unscathed? Yes, car couldn't no. lift it. <laughs> Sucks to be him. Jog my memory a little bit, but was there a college bar involved here? No, uh, fraternity, I think, uh, and there, there's a mouthy kid who went to Western Michigan. Yeah, that would be me. So, 
Yeah, so the uh, the combination of a little bit uh, too much mouth, uh, a fraternity football player, uh, a guy who's much bigger than me, led to me becoming the dirtiest street fighter ever at Western Michigan, but for all the wrong reasons. However, I survived. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, I'm here in one piece to live and talk, talk about it. So and, and, I wonder and what thrive. his version of the story is. I wonder if he knows that I played in the NHL or we want to stand <laughs> together. I wonder how he looks at that now and, and just thinks I was some frat kid who was afraid and crawled under a car and I showed him. Little does he know. It, I don't think he got a good look at your face uh, buried yeah. uh, uh, behind yeah, a tire. Trust me. And Justin, of all the stories that could have been told for all the things that we did in college, trust me, that one's as PG as they get. I'm happy with that one. So... That one can go on forever. There's a whole other one, bunch of ones where uh, we're hoping they don't come out and see the, the light of day. But one day they, may, they will. You just never know. We were, um, Not we're, for today. We were just talking, Glenn, before, uh, before you came on, just in terms of, uh, you know, your role now as, a, as a president or executive director of the NHL alumni and uh, just just the work on a day-to-day basis, man. Does it leave you time to watch any games at all, or is it just uh, around the clock in terms of, uh, you know, helping and uh, uh, NHL alumni who sometimes, uh, you know, fans haven't given a second thought to, but, I mean, we're, we're well aware of sometimes uh, the struggles, uh, not just the success stories. Well, I think the biggest thing is the, the role, no matter what time of day, whether the, there's a Leaf game on or not, doesn't change. It's how do we make tomorrow better than today for a bunch of players, spouses, and their families. And we can do that many, many ways. Uh, but, you know, there are, there are some ways where you can be reactive, where you're answering calls and, and getting the help that players need. But I think the, the bigger vision that uh, we try to create is being proactive and making sure that as we look ahead to the group of players that are playing today on the ice, that group of players that played today that we paved the roads for them to play on, as did Bob Bourne and a whole bunch of other players, uh, that we set things up for them and their families as well so that, you know, we can protect one another. We're a unique brotherhood, and we need to protect one another, and, and we do that really well. So the two sides of it, one is being reactive, which we have to uh, kind of take the calls and right away uh, release the army, and then the second is being proactive, looking ahead at the library services we need to create. And at the end of the day, it, the the vision and the mission statement doesn't change. Honor the past, and make tomorrow better than today. And and that's the role of everybody who works for the NHL alumni. All the people that uh, are on staff there, they work for the players. They make sure that uh, if they can uh, answer a, a situation, that they do it right away. And they do it with the team. And I'm fortunate in the sense that over the past number of years, we've built a really strong team. And when the phone rings, I really don't ever have to say, I'm sorry, I don't have help for you. I have help in every situation. And it's not done alone. It's done with our staff, but it's done with the NHLPA. It's done with the NHL. All, all the great work that the three groups have done together have made for me to, to put, take sorry and take it out of my, re, my repertoire. Yeah, you know, we we mentioned a little bit earlier in the show that, you know, you, you had uh, you know helped our family out in the past and um I, I can't imagine that it's all that uncommon for you guys to to field certain calls from families going through things of NHLers. What is, what is the response team like for 
um, for alumni who are looking for help? Is there, you guys have uh, just waiting for phone calls, then you have people to deploy? Like, has there been a growth in staff there? Because I imagine you, they keep you pretty busy. Yeah, I think what you, you have to do is you keep everybody in their lane. You know, uh, like clearly if we were on the New York Rangers and had Nick Kiprios as our frontline left winger to play with Mark Messier, we're Sounds not engraving so anything. We're not winning a cup. <laughs> but Nick and I knew what our lanes were, and we stayed in them. And I, I think that's the biggest thing. Is when you look at any organization that you develop, put people in positions to succeed. And, you know, there is a business component to the alumni that's enormous. It's a big brand. These are big players. These are, when you start mentioning the names of Gretzky and, and Messier and Lemieux and Sundin, and go down the list, of generation of their generation of player, I, I put that list up against any of the current roster any day, uh, and that current roster. Guess what? They're going to be alumni soon. Could we get Crosby to retire tonight? Could you guys work on that for me, please? <laughs> yeah. That would that would be nice. Uh, but you know, everyone stays in their lane. So when it comes to your mental wellness, we've got a group out of Ottawa, the Royal, which is one of the best in the country. Uh, they handle it from there, and UPMC, Ken Nash, they handle it from the U.S. side of things. You know, you have uh, a, a medical concierge in Michael Clarefield, the, the uh, uh, social worker. Like, there, there's a long list of people that, as situations come in, uh, they get put into positions where people can help them succeed in making tomorrow better than today. So it's not a one-man band. It's a whole group of people that uh, do what they do best, and we keep them in their lane, and they uh, do what they do best for a bunch of players. And you got to remember, like, you know, we we do have a bunch of Canadians, we have a bunch of Americans, but we also have 1,300 euros, and so that group has to be satisfied. That's where the phone rings a little crazy because uh, their seven o'clock at night is not mine. Uh, their day is just beginning for some of them, and you know my. 11 o'clock at night is different than theirs, and in the morning it's different. So there's a whole host of time issues, but player issues are player issues. And for some, there's a, a level of immediacy, and for others, we've just got to be proactive and say, what's on the horizon, what's on the radar? Let's build it so that, again, phone rings, there's an answer. We're speaking to Glenn Healy, Executive Director and President of the NHL Alumni Association, uh, my former teammate and a, a man who tried to once jog 60 blocks in cowboy boots. Down successfully, I might add, successfully. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't mention that, did you? No, you just said that I wore the cowboy boots. Granted, I walked on my hands for two weeks after because of shin splints, but that's okay. We should <laughs> never many an NHL player. Glenn, there's also another side of the NHL alumni, and that is the business side. And, and you know, this isn't a shot at anybody, is, uh, you know, in terms of what went on in the past. But it has gone from something that uh, was perceived as maybe a couple of fundraisers to big, big business. And we're talking about now you talking to uh, beer companies, commercials, and, and now a gambling side that uh, I, I would imagine uh, could mean a lot to the NHL alumni. Can you kind of dig deeper into the, the business side of, of the alumni and where we are as an NHL one compared to Major League Baseball or, or NFL football, like this is now turning into big business. Well, I think you've got to look at it this way. For the longest time, the brand was given away for free. And the minute that uh, I took the position, I said, We're, that comes to, well, the rubber hits the road, full stop. It's not free anymore. 
it's a, a big brand that deserves and the players deserve to be recognized for what they've accomplished and to honor that past and to make sure that, you know, when you monetize off of the business of, of hockey or the guys that have paved the way, you know, again, the money that's generated is to create that uh, ability to have a library of services to satisfy the needs of what we talked about initially. And so what you have to do is get the guys on board to believe in a cause, to believe in what we're doing is right. And that starts with baby Jesus in the manger Christmas morning, which is Wayne Gretzky. You don't get him, then there's no sense even going down the road. And that was my first call. And then the subsequent calls kind of carried on from there. But I think with all of them, and they're all different, right, whether it's your alumni whiskey through Wisers or it's an upper deck deal where there's, for the first time only, we're the only sport that has an alumni-only hockey card set, or EA Sports, which is the best in biz with video games, and we know what that's kind of gone on over the past pandemic. Like, there isn't anybody not playing them. Uh, Again, we've got 400 guys in a video game. So all of that stuff uh, and all of the different partnerships, they're all about a couple things. One, they've got to be quality and gold standard. They've got to be best in the biz because the brand and the players deserve it. And they have to have some sense of longevity, and they have to have the same vision that we as an alumni have. And that vision includes not just we're for sale and come spend a bunch of money and buy the group. No, it is come Uh, work together in a true partnership with vision that are going to take what we have as a group of alumni that are ambassadors that go out into the world and do philanthropic things, whether it's road hockey to cure cancer, whether it's hockey fights cancer, whatever, whatever the vision of all the players that have played to make a difference in the planet and the world and be ambassadors, uh, we embrace that and our partners have to embrace it with us. And if they don't have that vision, if they don't want to get involved in, campaigns, if they don't want to be philanthropic, then we won't do a a points bet gambling deal with them. If they do, and they're regulatory, and it's safe, and it's... uh we make sure it's not the guy in the corner who, Nick, you, you've laid bets with, who's got a trench coat on. But it's done the right way because it is illegal and it's changed in Canada and, and certain regulations have made significant changes. And they have the same vision and mission as us, then they can wear the same sweater as us and be a partner. But I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I compare it to you know the exhibition in Toronto. Remember when you had that ride, the flyer, and you couldn't wait to get on it, but you were too short? I mean, I maybe still be too short, but... And you waited for years, and you got on that that ride, and and finally you're you're tall enough. It was a roller coaster, it was wooden rails, and it was over in about eight seconds. And you thought, I waited all these years for this. Okay, I'm not interested in any business relationship with anyone who remotely looks like the flyer. And so uh, it reminds me of that. But any of our relationships on the business side are long term with strategic longevity and vision. And I think that's been our our model from the start. And it's led to some pretty good success and some really, really good partners. So how does the Alumni Association work with guys who you know, work on finding a second career. You know, a lot of the business stuff you're talking about uh, sounds like, you know, through the Alumni Association itself. I imagine there's guys who go out and start their own businesses. You know, a lot of these guys haven't made enough money to uh, to live on for the rest of their life. Um, you guys work with some of those guys to help them kind of get their feet, uh, not their feet on the ground, but yeah, get the ball rolling a little bit. Do you not? For sure. I mean, every player, uh, we have a one thing in common. We all retire. <laughs> 
at some point, yeah. uh, usually a pink slip or father time, or maybe it's just, you know, that, that birth defect called no skill. It's time for you to go. <laughs> yeah. And so you retire. And not everybody transitions well. I think that's the and, – and that's in any phase of life. If you, if you worked for Hockey Night in Canada and left Hockey Night in Canada and you had to go to the next phase of your life, there's a transition period there. There's bankers that leave the bank and need to find their next wave – the hard part for players is we leave the game at 27, 28. Now what's next from 28 till you're dead? That's a long time. And unfortunately, you've, a sh- you've got a, a short career and a long life, and you've got to find a way to fill that void. So mm-hmm. part of the role of the NHLPA, the NHL, and us is to create transition programs to help players find that next purpose, to find that next uh, 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 stage and journey and chapter in life where you can take all the things that you know on the ice, sacrifice, discipline, unselfishness, hard work, teamwork, and put those and, and put them into place in the next purposeful ways, wave of your life. No matter how much money you have, and there are players that have made over $100 million, they we all need a purpose. We need a reason to get up every day, feet hit the ground, and you are on that ground running. And so in some ways, a lot of players find that just on their own. And there are other players that need a push. And there are other players that need a good smack in the ass. And I think all of that group of players, we have a whole bunch of programs to provide for them to take the next step. And when they take the next step, see as far as you can go, you see a little bit further. Now let's take the next step tomorrow and see if we can get something in your world that provides that purpose. Uh, There are only 690 jobs in the NHL. We'd all love to work with those jobs, whether it's a Kent Hughes who got hired as a general manager today or yesterday or a player who's working as a scout. We'd all love those jobs, but there's only so many. And so finding what players want with that drive, it is a hard thing at times, uh, but when they find it, it's purposeful and the skill set that we have on the ice translated off the ice means for success post-career because players deserve it. I know uh, still a moving target with uh, the COVID and, and this pandemic, but uh, we, we assume there'll be a strong presence again at the NHL All-Star game with the alumni. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, when you look back at the All-Star game, when it was St. Louis, it was that 1819 when we last had our All-Star game uh, uh, over a hundred years ago. Um, it feels like that, doesn't it? Um, but you know, we you had Gretzky on the ice for the skills. You had Al McGinnis shoot in the hardest shot and was north of 103 uh, miles an hour. You know, I I don't think we're going to get that flavor that we had in St. Louis just because uh, the players were to go to the Olympics. They're not going now. There was the the, the thought that you really can't get anybody near them because uh, COVID is is such a big issue. So, but the bottom line is, you know, where there is that obstacle of COVID for the current players, based on the fact they've got to get back and get that race to the Stanley Cup and Stanley Cup final and winning a cup. Uh, we don't have that obstacle. We have opportunity. So they might not be in for anything based on safety and COVID, but as an alumni, we're in for everything. So uh, whether it's a fan fest, whether it is a hot stove, uh, we can take part in all of those. And again, the vision, grow the game. 
I know it's grown in areas like Vegas and, and the South, uh, but continue to grow it because uh, it's a great game, and it has been for a lot of us that have enjoyed the fruits of our labor, and, and we're going to continue to do what we can to make a difference. It becomes more difficult with the current players just based on the fact that you, know, you go down to Vegas if for any reason you get COVID. Do you really want to stay there for two weeks while you're – team is still playing and continuing that journey to a Stanley Cup. I don't think you want that for your team, your teammates, and so it becomes a little bit more contentious. And I'll give the current players a ton of credit for them to go through what they've gone through with the bubble, to go through what they went through last year with playing in front of friends and family only, to continue to keep this on pace. Uh, the Olympics were a kick in the teeth. The right call was made by them, but uh, they've done a great job to keep this sport up front and uh, in the front pages of papers. Hey, speaking of the Olympics, are they sucking you back in the broadcast booth? Uh, there, there is a rumor. Um, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I can neither confirm nor deny. Um, this is you, John this Ferguson is Jr. For, this is 37 thoughts. Is that the show you're on <laughs> with Rogers? 32 shots, whatever the Sounds thoughts right. were you had. No, it was four <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. Uh, anyways, four uh, long you know, thoughts. Uh, there, there is a chance that, uh, you know, when you look at all these kids that are getting a chance to play in the Olympics and that dream that uh, they get to accomplish based on the fact just with the sheer economics and, and tragedy of COVID and the NHL players that there's maybe a chance that I might stick my nose in it. But uh, uh, we will see. We are not there yet. No, not there yet. How does a guy who hides under a car to avoid a fight all of a sudden stick his nose uh, in it? Like, that's not you, bud. No, I know. Well, I managed to survive Sochi, which was quite the experience, uh, all to its own, being chased by dogs, uh, a, a, a shower that was just a hose coming out of the wall. <laughs> that was my shower. Uh, I mentioned it to the gentleman the very first day, and he looked at it and said he'd be back in five minutes, and that was <laughs> almost 12 years ago. So that, that hasn't happened. And Kipper, you remember the amusement park that uh, never did open because it didn't have any rides, which was kind <laughs> no of unusual. Flyer. Yeah. Uh, and then That's the, where you could use the flyer. Our, our very, very last night in uh, – in Sochi, when we all got together, NBC, except Pierre Maguire, shocking, he didn't get the invite. Uh, and then we all got together, and uh, there was, we needed like a table for six, and there happened to be two really, really drunk Russians sleeping at the table. And the gentleman who owned the restaurant said, no problem, I'll get you the table. And he threw them headfirst out the door. <laughs> Your table is ready. So there we go. But, uh, I, I thought those times were hilarious back then, but I, I long for them now because it was quite an experience. Um, and, and the Olympics are, right? They are a special moment where the crest on the front is far more important than the name on the back. And, uh, you know, it's a, an unusual one this time around. Uh, but looking forward, where Italy is the next one and potentially Vancouver and Salt Lake is the one to follow, uh, I don't think there's many NHL players who are going to want to miss those two. And you'll you'll be 80 by then. That's the beauty. Yeah, but there's, there's always wheelchair access to the booth. And between the benches, <laughs> it's it's kind of at chin level. So that would be, you know, kind of Pierre Maguire level. So it'd be perfect. Oh, I could just put I my do. hands across the front. I'd be fine. I'd be able to do love, it. Love to be watching you from my beach house uh, in Florida, for sure. <laughs> well, I'll just make sure uh, make sure we get the code to to get in to change your nappies when the time is right when you get down to that old age home you're going down to in Florida. 
Justin and I would be glad to help. Right? Justin, you do the morning feed. I'll do the <laughs> afternoon one. All right, that sounds healthy. Never a dull moment with Glenn Healy. Hey, Heels, thanks for doing this, man. All right, gentlemen, keep up the great work, and, uh, yeah, go go have a great rest of the week. It's the right same now. as the last week, and every day that ends in Y is another COVID day. Here we go. Thanks, Glenn Healy. Executive Director and President of the NHL Alumni Association doing a great job, and maybe, maybe we'll hear his voice yet again during the Olympics. All right, after the breaks, Maxime Lapierre, former NHLer, will be uh, stopping by to discuss the Habs naming their next general manager, 18th in their history, Kent Hughes. All of that after the break. You're listening to Real Kipper and Bourne. As we said prior to the break, Montreal Canadiens announcing their general manager, Kent Hughes, will be the 18th manager in Montreal Canadiens history. Maxime Lapierre, former NHLer and host of La Poche Bleu. Did I say that all right? Good to go. <laughs> that was pretty good, actually. Probably better than my English, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Max, how are you, pal? I'm really good. Yourself? Good, good. Um, you know, no better than you. You played, uh, you're there. Uh, the general feeling about this 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 new phase of the Montreal Canadiens' history. Uh, Gorton comes in. Uh, Kent Hughes, we do know that there's a history between the two. Overall, is there a, a good feeling here with everything that's moving forward? Or do some people, you know, still question the direction of the Montreal Canadiens? Yeah, I think it goes both ways. I mean, uh, probably Kent Hughes is not the, the most known person around here. We were more talking about Daniel Briere, Matthew Darch, Patrick Roy. Obviously, a lot of people wanted to to have Patrick as the GM, but uh, I think it was a good decision. A lot of people are happy. We went for I think we went for a good structure, and some people are they have good ideas instead of going for the the, the famous people and just putting a, a name there to to make people happy. You know, uh, I think it's a it's a pretty good decision with. Uh, uh, getting Kent Hughes in Montreal, we know, like you just mentioned, he knows uh, he knows Jeff Gorton, and they have a chemistry together. And I think they complete each other in a, in a cer- certain way because uh, uh, we know that he was an agent used to to, to get some deals done. And on the other side, we have uh, Jeff Gorton that uh, he's known to to be really good at like uh, recognizing talents and drafting. And he was a scout uh, at the beginning of his career. He did really well in Boston and New York. So. I think we've got a really good duel right now, and uh, it's just going to help uh, a Montreal Canadian team that needs a lot of work, guys. Yeah, there, there is a lot of work, and it does feel like um, you know there's there's a plan in place here where Gorton will make a lot of uh, the decisions or at least be involved in a lot of them. Do you think there's disappointment in Montreal that it's not a sexier name, that it's not one of the guys you mentioned? Because it sure feels like it would have been a bigger splash had it been, you know, as you mentioned, Wahr, Darsh, or one of those guys, Breer. Yeah, I think as soon as the the news came out, that was the the, the reaction from people. But now the more infos are coming out on social media and on radio shows and all that, and I think people start to realize that uh, as a lawyer, there's been a lot of uh, lawyer agents that had great careers as GM in the NHL. Uh, the first name that comes in mind, obviously, a guy like Julien Brisebois in Tampa Bay. Uh, for me, that's pretty much the, the same kind of wor- work that a, a guy like Kent Hughes could, could do in Montreal, and uh, obviously guys like Pierre Lacroix and all that, but uh, I think again, people are seeing it as a duo. A lot of people were mentioning before 
Uh, they named Kent Hughes as a GM. They, they mentioned that uh, Gorton was going to be the boss and the person that's going to be in place is just going to be basically there uh, <laughs> to, to fill a chair or just, uh, like like you said, being a name like Patrick Roy or something. So I think it's going to be a, a, a really good duo again. And I uh, uh, can't wait to see what they're going to name uh, Ed Scout because we, we all know this is where the problem is. We, we've been putting a lot of attention uh, towards the GM position, but we all know that the, the problem the last few years has been the, the draft. And uh, the only way the, the Canadians are going to get out of it is uh, is with drafting well, drafting good talents. And uh, like I said, there, there's so much work to do. I uh, can't wait to see what what the plan is if they, they want to rebuild or if they, they think they can add a few pieces there and get back to being a, a contender like they did last year. So we know Kent Hughes, uh, best known for, for his agency and, and building up a, a pretty good clientele, uh, including one, and we had Cam Neely on earlier, uh, and we spoke of uh, Patrice Bergeron. And it's funny, people are already linking to the fact that his contract is done and he's a he's a client of Kent Hughes or or some putting one and one <laughs> equals two together here uh, with a crack at maybe luring a Patrice Bergeron to come to Montreal. That would be awesome, guys. But I, I you know what? I, I've known Patrice for a few years. I played with him in minor hockey and all that. But I feel like he's the type of guy that will finish his career in Boston. I think that he's a really honest person. He's a real captain. I know there's probably a part in the, of him that wants to, to see what it is to play for the Montreal Canadiens, but with what he lived in Boston and winning the Stanley Cup and, and all that, I honestly, I would be very, very surprised if Patrice Bergeron plays somewhere else in Boston. Max, what are your thoughts on the job Dominic Ducharme has done this season? You know, I, I, I look at the situation and everything that ha, you know could go wrong has gone wrong, and it's fair to say that you know, he hasn't had a chance, really. But at the same time, they're dead last. They're behind Arizona, who's trying to lose. What are your thoughts on the job he's done this year? Well, I, I think, like you just mentioned, he, had, he lost all his leadership, guys. Like, uh, Shea Weber left. They, they lost Dano. They lost Carey Price, uh, Corey Perry, Eric Stahl. Even guys like Tatar, like, they were a presence in the dressing room or on the ice. You know, they... Maybe not the hardest worker, but a guy like Tatar was very useful to the team. So they they lost like six, seven players that were that took them to the Stanley Cup right. Finals last year. And they, right now, uh, with uh, Carey Price being gone all season, you, I think we got confirmation uh, last night against Arizona that uh, we have a lack of leadership and the culture is not right. Like it, we have a lot of players that are not hard worker. We have players that are looking for an easy game, and that that's the first thing I think they're gonna change here. Uh, that's why I mentioned, is it going to be a rebuild? Is it going to be just adding a few pieces, changing the culture, the attitude of this dressing room? Uh, I think it can go both ways, but I, I, I would assume people uh, are ready for a rebuild like the New York Rangers did, and that's why they trust uh, Jeff Gorton so much because he did a pretty good job over there, and it was basically uh, quick. And it has to be quick, Max. I, I don't yeah. care. We cannot have the Montreal Canadiens be the worst team in the league, okay? we You don't want to see the New York Yankees in the bottom. You don't want to see no. the Dallas Cowboys stink. It is not – even super fan Sammy, who loves the Leafs here, knows that a Montreal Canadian team that's laughed at in the bottom of the basement is no good for anyone here. What about no. the pressure that they feel from the fans – to get them out of this mess. And I'm not saying to compete for a Stanley Cup, but this can never happen again, being the worst team in the league. 
No, exactly. And that, that's why I was mentioning the culture because the, the fans, I think it's the same in Toronto. The fans are ready to, to have a team that, that is not making the playoffs, but they want a team that battles every night. Then they want a team that, that is proud to wear the Montreal Canadiens jersey. And that's not what we're seeing right now. So obviously the goal is to make the playoff and win the Stanley Cup. But just, just to start like the first step, having, having a team that competes every night and at least exciting to watch, that would be, I think, a, a good step in the right direction. And my personal opinion is we're far from that right now. We're, we're missing, we're not missing two or three players. I think we're missing like, 10 players to mm-hmm. 10 guys that, that have experience that want to not fight like dropping the gloves but blocking shots and giving hits and pay the price for for his teammates we have too many passengers on this team and that's why we're last because if you look at the the lineup from the beginning of the season you cannot say that team was supposed to be last in the no. nhl was supposed to compete for a place in the playoffs so again last night was a just confirmed that it was an attitude problem and not a, a skill problem yeah, you know, looking at this team, you're talking about 10 guys. Like, that's a pretty major overhaul, but it's obviously what they need. Who would still be as a part of the Montreal Canadiens, as a part of the solution? You know, Nick Suzuki is the obvious name to come, that comes to mind for me. Is there anyone else that you see on this roster now that is going to be a part of it when it's going in the right direction again? Yeah, but to me, to me, I think a guy like, uh, I think Lekanen, young guy, fast, works hard, mm-hmm. right attitude. Those, those are the type of guys you want to keep around. I think Caulfield, obviously, is a top prospect here in Montreal. But if we look at the veterans, I think a guy like Ben Chirot, we're, we're talking about him right now. We're talking about his value and on the market and all that. And he would be a great addition to a team like the Panthers or whatever. But I, I think he would be a great leader in the, in the dressing room, helping this team becoming a, a good hockey team. Now, the, is, does he want to stay here and be part of a rebuild? That's the question you got to ask him. But uh, I think guys like Ben Sherrod that compete every night, uh, Joel Edmondson that has been hurt all year, but he's he's won the Stanley Cup in St. Louis, and obviously he's a, he's, he's a gamer. He's always there for his teammates. I think those are the people you want to keep around. You don't want to keep the, the players that play once, every eight or nine games and they score two goals and then everybody thinks they're they're great players again but that's not what you need you need guys that show up every night that that respect the logo and that realize the the history of the montreal canadians even if it's a 20 to 30th round pick it's going to be hard to give up a first rounder for ben charat at the trade deadline they they need assets bad here max yeah Oh yeah, for sure. We need assets. We need we need young guys. We need young guys that are ready to play as well. You know, we always think about the draft, but uh, the draft is not an exact science. You know, you know, like me, like you look at a team like Edmonton right now. They draft first for a few years, and they have the two best players in the league probably, and they're still in trouble. So, you just need to go get the right people, the the people that are ready to do everything for the team, and it can be just a a 24, 25 years old kid that's playing somewhere else that has played in the league for two, three years and he's doing well, but could do better. And you, you go get him, plays in Montreal, and finally it's a good fit for him and it helps the team mo- moving forward. I think that's that's what they need to do right now. If you look, I'm talking about the attitude, but I also think the, the, Canadi- the Canadians are not built for 2022 hockey. I think they're a slow team. Uh, the defense are slow. The transition is slow. A few years, I don't know if you remember, like three, four years ago, the Canadian had uh, an exciting season and everybody was saying they never quit and they're fast. And that's why they had a, a decent team. Well, this year is the opposite. One more here for you, Max, and that is to get your thoughts on, I'm starting to feel like we may have seen Carey Price 
already play his last game as a Montreal Canadian. If I'm Kent Hughes, one of the first things I need to do is figure out what I'm going to do, what we're going to do with Jeff Gordon, with Carey Price. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You gotta first. You gotta ask him where. What is he? What is he thinking? Like, does he want to be here? Does he think he can still win a Stanley Cup in Montreal? Does he want to be part of a rebuild? Does he still want to play hockey? Like, there's so many questions uh, surrounding him. Obviously, we all know what what he's been through uh, during the the last year. Whatever it's uh, going in the NHL uh, program because uh, he needed help or the injuries, you know, he, he, he's starting to be pretty banged up with his knees. It's been a few times. Uh, that's a big decision, and that's a tough tough contract to move as well. You know, we we always think, well, it's Carey Price. 100% there's going to be a team taking him if they want to win the Sunday Cup. I don't I don't think it works that way. Most of the good teams they don't even have a dollar left on the on the salary cap. So. I can't wait to see. Maybe he wants to go closer to home. I, a place like Seattle, obviously. His wife uh, is from there, I think, and all that. Maybe he thought he was going there this summer at the expansion draft. I, I don't really know, but obviously that's uh, that's something they need to fix uh, moving forward. If, and then it's going uh, to help them taking the, the rest of the decisions. No question, guys like you and the rest of the Montreal media will keep us abreast of that situation, <laughs> yeah. man. But yeah, uh, sure. really appreciate your time here, Max. Uh, good luck with everything. Uh, the podcast, uh, wish you all the best. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. Good luck uh, with the show. Bye-bye. Thanks, Max. Thank you. Maxim Lapierre. Boy, he played it tough, too, that kid. Yeah, it's impossible uh, to hear him say you know, the type of players he thinks that the Canadians are missing without thinking of the type of game he played. You know, little bits of that element would be useful for sure. You buying into my, we may have seen Carey Price play his last game in Montreal. I am buying it. Yeah. You know, I, I just think from a mental health standpoint, sometimes when you start over, you need to properly start over, you know, and I, I imagine that's part of where he's at. Right. Yeah. I, I look at it um, so many different ways and I will tell you, and someone has mentioned it to me, uh, but it, it probably considers a, a deeper thought that, uh, you know, there's, there's all aspects for him when you're 34, 35 and, and have gone through what he's going through that, uh, retiring could be an option. Really? All that money <sighs> look, on the table. It, and Well, look, physically, he's not well right right now, physically. Okay. Um, emotionally and, uh, where he is, uh, mentally, but physically the body has not responded, you know, probably where he'd like at this point. So I, I don't know whether or not, uh, you know, overall uh, he looks at a big picture, but at that age uh, with the mileage that he's had, the wear and tear, I think he's going to look at all options uh, moving forward. So we'll, we'll see how this thing plays out. Yep. No. And then there's the option. I think he'd still get to get, get your money at that point too. And it would be well-deserved. We've got John uh, Bucciagras from ESPN. Uh, you're on the line, John. I'm here, boys. Woo-hoo. How are you? Good. You wanna you wanna pick up a little bit on on Carey Price and the options of Montreal? A new general manager. You gotta form new relationships. I told them start right with Carey Price. Figure out what's going on there. Yeah, it's probably the hub of the whole thing. To how you want to operate because as we know you, they, 
that's where it kind of all starts and everything is a little easier when that's taken care of. So yeah, I agree. Maybe whether it's, you know, does, does he want to go somewhere else and start fresh and it's good for him. So yeah, I agree that that's probably where it all starts. Bucci, I hope I'm not going to put you in an awkward spot here because it's impossible to talk about this stuff without thinking about politics. But uh, the NHL is going to stop uh, testing uh, players who are asymptomatic and just test the symptomatic ones after the All-Star break. Uh, I'll go out there and just say it. I think it's a good thing, um, you know, for for the league to kind of move forward. Lots of guys had it. Lots of lots of vaccination out there. What, What are your thoughts on what this means for the NHL? Yeah, I think it's the right move going forward. Um, you know, I, I don't get tested going to work. I go to work every day, yeah. and I'm 55. So uh, I feel I feel uh, from everything that I see and experience that I'm, I feel fine and safe and, and symptoms. You know, what, I, I got COVID pre-vaccine back in April, and uh, I was fine. It was, you know, a little sleepy for a few days, but it was fine. And um since then, I got you know vaccination. I recently got boosted because I had to to go to work. With and you know, they made us do it. I probably wouldn't have it if, if uh, they didn't make us. Um, but you know, uh, so I think it's the right thing to do I, I, going forward. And um, players can you know, I'm sure some will take advantage of a home test if they want, or get tested anytime at work that they feel like they're maybe a little under the weather. Um, there's plenty of times playing hockey, as you guys would know, that they're going to feel kind of probably a little groggy sometimes, but. Um, and then they can, you know, go from there. So, yeah, I think it's the right thing to operate this. Young, healthy people do not seem to be in danger, and um, I think it's the, the first step to kind of slowly move forward as long as things seem to be okay, and they do. Uh, Bucci, I, I think as early as maybe tomorrow, we'll have a better idea of what uh, the schedule for the National Hockey League could look like for February. It appears that uh, they've rescheduled almost 95% uh, of the games in about three, three and a half weeks in February, maybe even two or three weeks ago, we weren't even sure if they were going to pull off the all-star game in Las Vegas. And and yet, you know, it, it's shaping up to, I think, to be a pretty good weekend overall. And I know you guys will be heavily involved. Yeah, we're doing the, you know, we're doing the skills competition and the all-star game on ESPN. I think I'm doing the skills competition. They haven't told me yet, but I think a producer has. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'll get around to it. Uh, but yeah, I'd heard last week at work that tomorrow was going to be, they'd said next Wednesday was the day when the next, the rest of the schedule would be released. So I kind of, I kind of forgotten today was Tuesday. So I'm glad you reminded me. So yeah, um, I did hear tomorrow was the day. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see what happens. And, and, and cause, you know, getting all getting all eighty two in certainly is what everybody wants from the owners to the players, especially the players already give enough money back in escrow. They don't want to do it again. And so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very curious to see what kind of uh, scheduling is going on. Will there be those, you know, two game series in, in the same city, back to back to try to to try to get those games in? Will some teams have I don't know five games in six days or six and seven? or one in 10, like it's, or, you know, eight straight road games. It's going to be really interesting. I don't know how they do it. Um, it's really uh, amazing how they put it all together. But, yeah, it looks like tomorrow is the day. We'll get some clarity. And I'm sure that's how the testing announcement today also kind of came into play as well. I'm sure they timed it out that way because of the new schedule going to be, you know, the rest of the schedule, as you mentioned, being released tomorrow. So that kind of goes, goes hand in hand. Bucci, is the uh, the players not going to the Olympics? Does that affect your life in a meaningful way? Are you a big Olympics guy? Was that uh, crushing for plans? No, not really. No. Um, I mean, I was look, I was looking forward to maybe two or three weeks off, but uh, that's not going to happen now. But <laughs> <Nope>. uh, <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, I've kind of lost my. I mean, I love the only. Actually, I must say, I've lost a lot of my childhood uh, magic for the Olympics. Although the hockey was a lot of fun to watch, that was probably the one sport I did really enjoy watching, and still got those old butterflies that I got as a kid watching the Olympics. And for some reason, I don't know if it's the IOC or whatever, but as I've gotten older, it's just I don't watch a second of it really, whether it's summer or winter, very little. If I, if I go across the TV and I'm there, maybe I will. Wow. But I don't seek it out like I used to. It was a big deal to me when I was a kid. It just it's lost the magic. But certainly the hockey I would have watched. Um, and, and so I just hope at some point they can get a, a World Cup of hockey that has that same kind of feel and magic as the old, as the old Canada Cup or the old, uh, you know, when the, when they play the Soviet Union, those games had such interesting drama and appeal. And, and I know maybe the World Cup last time around didn't quite feel, almost felt like the President's Cup compared to the Ryder Cup in golf. Although the President's Cup start to, you know, starting to kind of gain mm-hmm. a little bit of magic to it. Last time, I think because it was Tiger, but it was, I kind of compared the two that way where it just didn't, we, we need a Ryder Cup feel for hockey. And the Olympics, let's face it, that was it. Um, that was the one. So I will miss those, you know, the, those matchups because I know how much, but you know, without fans and so far away and, 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 and even no fans at those games, how much is that going to really feel like magic to, uh, to watch that? So um, I just hope, you know, next time around we start get somehow we find a tournament, international tournament, because it is, it is, a, it is a great flavor for uh, those of us who love all kinds of hockey. Well, what game you got tonight? You're working tonight, correct? Yeah, I'm in Philadelphia. I got the Flyers and the Islanders with Kevin Weeks. So, um, you know, two teams that are obviously struggling this year, especially the Flyers. The Islanders are kind of hope they're doing the math, kind of hoping for that miracle finish. You know, the Capitals. Are, I think the Capitals are probably going to end up being that eighth place team. They're on pace for 107 points. I mean, they're not going to catch them if, if the Capitals have 107 points. Um, so they probably, I, I was thinking, they have to hope someone sinks down to 99. Like, that's the last playoff spot in the East. So what do we need to do to get 100? And I think I did the math. It's something like, you know, 34, 6, and 3. It's like, I mean, it's a, <laughs> kind of a crazy record. They have 51 games left. It, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it, it's doable, but, you know, with their record against good teams this year and the, the overall makeup of your team, it's probably a bit too much to ask. But, you know, they've got a good stretch here of home games again after tonight against a, a kind of a weak schedule. So they at least can maybe give the Bruins or Capitals a little bit of a, a scare there. But uh, it doesn't. It looks like the eight have been set in the East. I, I think two, three weeks ago I'd said, some guys, you know, just talking hockey at work. I think we're done. I think we, I think we have our eight in the East already. And uh, that was, like I said, two, three yeah. weeks ago. So we'll, we'll see. Well, we know Lou will not throw in the towel. Uh, it's no, it's not his style. No, no. I think he's no. going to take but, a, a run at it. He might even, uh, you know, pick up a player or two, but I, I think he's just going to, he's going to hope he can get on a run. That's what he's going to do. Yeah. And they hope they get Pulak back soon and, and some other. And then they're finally starting to go. They, they finally look like the Islanders last year. A little bit of traction. I like how they're using Bellows and Wallstrom. They've got to introduce some young guys eventually and give them a shot. It looks like they're kind of growing up. And they know what they're doing, especially around the net. 
They got a little bit of cool, cool, uh, you know, a little talent around the net. So we'll see how long they're taking Bellows off of uh, Barzal's line tonight. Uh, they didn't quite fit last night, so they got to put Josh Bailey up there. So, yeah, they're trying to figure things out with the Isles. It's, I think the trade deadline is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. You know, who makes a move? Who tries to, uh, to move some of these pieces? I think it, I think as so many teams are in it. I think the trade deadline could be a lot of fun because I think I think there's a lot of teams that think they can win the cup, which is great. Bucci, have a great call tonight. Uh, really enjoy uh, your uh, your comments, and uh, you're welcome on this show anytime, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, boys. Appreciate Thanks, it. John Bucci-Gross, NHL on ESPN. I mean, that uh, that Islanders team, boy, <laughs> it really is pushing it, getting down to the wire here. Got to go get hot. It is. It is. Uh, Speaking of a team that needs to get hot, it's the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Sammy, at the beginning of the show, we talked a little bit about uh, Edmonton reporter uh, Jim Matheson uh, on a on a post practice comment, I guess, or a question. Yeah. Towards Leon Drysital. Oh, yeah. let's. We got play the clip. It. I think. Do we got the clip, Derek? Let's play it. Leon, love it. Yeah. The reasons for why the owners are playing the way they are in terms of winning and losing. What do you think is the number one reason for the losses now? Is there is there one thing that you in your own mind you're saying we got to get better at that? Yeah, we ha- we have to get better at everything. Would you like to expand on that? No. Nope. You can do that. You know everything. Why are you so pissy, Leon? Hmm. Why are you so pissy? I'm not. I'm just I, answering your question. Yeah, you are. Whenever I ask you a question. <laughs> I gave you an answer. Not very good one. Okay. Yeah. I have one more for you. Leon, you show your frustration on the ice last game against Ottawa. Is that a good thing when you show it so the other team knows you're frustrated? Yeah, it's a great thing, for sure. <laughs> good. Yeah. Oh, cringing. Boys. So much cringing. When there's just, this is just like a a new story, just like evolving right in front of your eyes. All of a sudden, it's not about the Edmonton Oilers anymore. It's about Jim Matheson and Leon Dreisaitl. That's the story. So what side of this are you guys on here? We got to pick a side, right? Okay. Well, so whatever happened there didn't come out of the abyss, like in a vacuum. If it, in a vacuum, you'd be like, Leon, what are you doing? I asked you a pretty basic question. But it's not just that, right? This this is coming from somewhere else. And Sammy, it's it's an unfair question because you don't I have know. any you don't have any background to it. And whatever is pissing off Leon, we know on the surface what it is. Doesn't like Jim Matheson. Probably feels like oh, uh, he's taking too. <laughs> Too many runs at him, or yeah, personal, or sure. the team, or whatever the case is. There is a history there, and not every athlete can pull that off. Leon Drysidel thinks that he's got enough stock to try to hold Jim accountable in this scenario, and you know, one of the best players in the world. Oh, Leon's a dude, man. If, I, I if, all I can say is if Leon can't pull this off. Nobody can. Yeah, you know, I, I think it is. It's petulant, petulant, and it's not. It doesn't look good. 
But I got to tell you, I love I, I love Tricital. I love the confidence, the arrogance. Like this again, that that exchange right there, he doesn't come off very good. Why are you so pissy, Leah? <laughs> <laughs> if, if we can just clip that as "Why are you so pissy?" We can save that for future drops on this show. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you this question: When Leon, I often marvel. It's not really a question; it's more of a statement. I often marvel at the ability of hockey players to not explode reporters every day because you're playing, especially the Oilers. What have they lost? 12 or 14? Like they've lost so many games in the last month or two. They've been awful. You're seeing the same guy every day. He's asking you the same questions every day. And it's amazing that it doesn't blow up more like this. It, It really blows my mind. These guys professionalism, but when Leon goes, you know, everything, He's obviously looking for something there. And he's sick of seeing him, and he's sour about it. And he's been sour in the past about stuff. Leon isn't exactly the, you know, the the most quiet when it comes to getting into exchanges with media. In my opinion here, I, I think Leon was kind of looking for the fight. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, when can I remember, you media or are you? Okay. I was just going to say... Uh, Earlier in the season, there was a small stretch where Mitch Marner wasn't happy, was short, and it never got to this for Mitch Marner. And then we started making, you know, the comments when with clearly he's not having fun. Clearly there's no joy in his game. And it, it was fixed. It was it was not an issue. He 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 I don't know. He pulled himself out of it because he's in control of his emotions, but he found a different way to go about it, and it was done and over with. You know, and I hope this this is the case with Leon and Jim. I really do that it's a one off, and because ultimately, like I said, if if Leon can't pull this off, being one of the top players in the world, nobody can. But at the end of the day, even Leon can't truly win this against the almighty pen and sword. <laughs> yeah. I got two thoughts on this, Kipper. One is that the Zoom meetings and the, you know, the, the way the press conferences are structured, it's not doing anyone any favors. Because back in the day, the guys walking around the dressing room, maybe it was a little annoying, Kipper, but a guy would grab you. You know, Leon might have grabbed Jim and said like, hey, what the hell was that in the paper the other day? You know, you called me this, you said that about our line, you got this totally wrong. Mm. Maybe they'd be able to hash that out before having to see it the way we saw it now. The other thing is that, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, but, like, Jim's an older guy. They, they, You know, Leon is a young punk. They got this, like, this dynamic between the two of them where they are not on the same page. Jim is a Hall of Fame media guy who's 72 years old, I believe. You know, there used to be this sort of respect between the players and media where they had personal relationships and this sort of stuff. It Mm. didn't seem so adversarial. And to me, the media has such an adversarial relationship with with the players now, and it's because of the way it's set up and the way they have to ask questions. I don't don't know if I agree with that, uh, JB, just from the sole purpose of, uh, you know, I've seen also uh, the last few years, uh, you know, the, the, the new young generation and... You know they're petrified. They're they're, they're scared to ask a a, a decent question. The, the media they're, is. They're yeah yeah yeah. No these you know some some newer younger fresher faces okay. where they're just coming in and they're not going to hold anyone accountable. They're not going to ask any tough questions. They're just going to 
do whatever they can to make sure that their their pass is still there the next day. Yep. So, you know, there are some some guys that want to hold players and organizations accountable. I think Jim was trying to that. The problem is, is you can only ask so many different ways the same frigging question. Yeah. You guys suck. Why? Why? Well, I don't know. <laughs> everything. We gotta we gotta fix everything. Yeah. Now, does Leon want to sit there and, and go goaltending, special yeah. teams, depth scoring? No, coaching, it doesn't matter if he wants to. Other trades. people do, Kipper. He, I, you're totally on 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 one thing here, and that's that PR guys don't they're they overmanage the reporters, so they can't ask many of the hold the feet to the fire questions, or you stop getting turns, or you get your pass revoked, or you get put at the back of the bus, or you're sitting in the corner of the press box. You're right. I don't think there's an expectation anymore. Like PR guys don't allow media members to ask those hard questions, and media members are more cautious of trying to remain friendly. So, yeah, I think it's a good point that they don't face many questions that are challenging. Not that I think the one from Jim was particularly challenging, but they don't face much pushback at all. So maybe when they get even a little bit, it feels more, you know, in your face. And and just imagine now the the frustration that they've never felt before. And it's just piling on. It's like a volcano. And it erupted today for Leon Dreisaitl, man. There's, there's lava pouring all over that press room. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't help, right? This stuff never happens when you've won 12 of 14. You never hear a guy going, I don't know why we lost, you know? I I do think, though, that we have been blessed with one of the great all-time clips. Like, why are you so pissy is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Objective why are you so like, pissy? <laughs> like, that is, that is hilarious. We are going to use are you that. So- they, don't, they don't teach that one in journalism school, boys. Why are you so pissy? You know, there's... Like, like, that's such a Canadian word, I feel like. Pissy. We've, so pissy. we've really had a lot of the words we can say at people stripped from us, uh, being politically correct. I'm glad we're hanging on to pissy. Pissy's <laughs> a great one. <laughs> yeah, that one's going to live for a long time. Oh, yeah. the, the, the that's clip- up there with Brooksy. Well, that's what I guess what I'm saying, Brooksy. Yeah. Like, why are you so pissy? Like, that's right up there. That's in the Hall of Fame it, of clips to me. It was, it was a Larry Brooks. Uh, John Tortorella. Oh, get the f- out of here, then. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the clip, though, the clip doesn't. What it, you betrays, it betrays Dreisaitl, who actually smiles throughout the, the the press conference, and not in a way that he's uncomfortable. Just that he like, there's some f you in the smile from Dreisaitl, and oh, I, yeah. you know, and I, that I think the clip doesn't hang on to. And you know, Connor McDavid didn't use the word pissy the last time we heard from him, but you know, it was. Kind of unlike Connor McDavid to say, and for better purposes, we don't really care about what the fans and the media think. We think he, we think Evander Kane can help us yeah. essentially, right? That's it's kind of not very Connor McDavid like to say that or to to be that uh, forthcoming. But mm. that's where we are right now for the Edmonton Oilers. And it, right? just, it just feels like it's coming unglued. And, like, it it has to be tied to that now that I think about it because the media was all over the Kane stuff. I wonder – I don't know what Jim said about the, the Kane stuff, but I don't know. You know, I know our uh, Sportsnet's Mark Spector retweeted the the clip today saying that, you know, this isn't leadership from Dreisaitl, and it's not. You know, I, I'm just – I don't know the backstory. I don't know the context of these guys. We got an all-time clip out of it. 
if I was the general manager or or a president or an owner, uh, I yes, I would like to see more composure uh, for my leaders for sure. And I I, I just think right now that uh, they're they're reaching right now a little bit, right? They're mm-hmm. they're they're kind of out of ideas. We need a five for five trade, man. We need just a wholesale. The Oilers want to just just start over. A blockbuster. Just a blockbuster. Tough in a salary cap era, but uh, yeah, no, it's a tough situation for the Oilers and their fans. No, gave Sammy to something to work with now for the rest of the year on a soundbite. <laughs> and Derek, <laughs> and Derek. Why are you so pissy? <laughs> it is. It's great. So Ken Hughes, we're going to turn yeah. the page on that, or? Uh, yeah, I think oh, so. I, uh, close on I, that I news. I just think it's, uh, again, it's kind of where the whole general manager job has really kind of evolved. And my good buddy, I give him all the credit in the world, but, you know, Doug McLean in many ways nailed it with this this fake general manager's job that, you know, it's it's now shifted towards the president. Uh, Jeff Gordon will make those decisions and, you know, the ones that matter the most, the buck stops with, Jeff Gorton in Montreal, not Kent Hughes. Kent Hughes can turn into a, a great general manager when it comes to uh, negotiations and uh, you know uh, relationships uh, with players and agents and and coaches and be that kind of middleman. But it's Jeff Gorton's team and more man, you know, a more manageable person than like a, a big personality like. Briere or Patrick Waugh, those guys are, you know, they're at events and they talk with the media. Um, and if they were being kind of held as a puppet GM, they may be more likely to speak up on that. I think Kent Hughes, he signed a five-year contract. Five-year contract. And not only that, he's he, gonna he wouldn't quiet. have come cheap. What do you think? A couple million bucks JB. or something? I, I would think at the very minimum that he's looking at anywhere between Ten and fifteen million dollars. He had a successful agency. It got sold off for the most part. I'm sure he still had shares in it, mm-hmm. which he'll have to relinquish as now uh, the general manager of Montreal. But to walk away from all of that uh, would not have been. Uh, I'll, I'll take anything you offer me. That's not Ken Hughes. He's no. very successful. Would his ties to those players, you know, like Patrice Bergeron, and I think he had uh, on his books about $270 million worth of contracts, would that have been an appeal for Montreal to get a guy who has a lot of players and connections and, you know, trying to lure people to Montreal, say, hey, Ken's here now? Montreal uh, has never had probably uh, the difficulty of, say, the Edmonton Oilers over the past 15, 20 years of luring free agents, but... You know, there's a lot of people that uh, first and foremost uh, uh, don't like the taxes or uh, the language barrier if you're not uh, French. So I, I think Kent Hughes can come in there and 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 maybe change that perception a little bit based on his relationships over the years as an agent. Yes, to answer your question, JB, yeah, I think it, it, it can make a difference. Well, then I think they got the guy that we thought they were looking for. And, you know, it checks all the boxes, and uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that it's not a bigger name. All right. Fun show today. Cam Neely. Seabass. Yes. <laughs> he was fun. He was Glenn great. Healy, of course. Maxim Lapierre. And, of course, from ESPN, John Buchagross.
JB, thanks a lot, pal. Always fun with you, Sammy, and Derek. We get to do it all again tomorrow. You too, buddy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Real Kipper and Born, Show 71.